Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories. This week, Eda Gnaiden is a Turkish-Australian writer and researcher interested in class, race and diaspora. You can find her essays and creative non-fiction published widely. She's been shortlisted for a number of awards, is currently contributing editor at the Sydney Review of Books, and her debut essay collection, Root and Branch, was published in May 2022. It's brilliant and I've been recommending it to everyone I speak to, so you should probably buy it. But first, listen to this story, recorded at Riverside Theatres in Parramatta in 2022. Sometimes I like to think of myself as a cultural ambassador for being gay. I love to patiently sit around a dinner table after the meal is done and answer questions about, for example, the mechanics of sex, or how queer couples communicate, or how we negotiate our identities. Admittedly, it is mostly questions about the mechanics of sex. (laughs) The first time this tour guiding impulse, this desire to act as an intermediary between the queer and the straight worlds, took over me, it was February of 2020. My friend Elise, a Belgian woman who I met on exchange in Spain in 2014 and had remained in contact with ever since, was about to visit Sydney. Elise is my opposite. She's always at ease in social situations and able to carry a conversation with anybody. This is aided by the fact that she speaks five languages, Dutch, English, French, Kinyarwanda, and Spanish. In 2020, she was living in Cork, Ireland, working at Apple, providing multilingual customer support. She hated staying at her shifts after 1 p.m. because that's when Quebecois customers started calling in, and she often couldn't contain her laughter about not being able to understand their French-Canadian accents. That's Elise. She laughs easily, she's good at her job, she makes friends everywhere she goes. Elise is bringing with her her colleague Christina. Christina has grown up in Cork and lives at home in a large Catholic household. She's willowy and tall and speaks in a heavy Irish accent and she can't understand why so many Aussie guys are so into her. For the first few days of their visit, I take them to the obvious landmarks, the opera house, a ferry ride, coastal walks. The night before they're uh, about to fly out back home though, it's Mardi Gras and I want them to really experience it because I am a cultural ambassador. They want to see the march in person, and I have plans to go to a friend's place and watch it on TV instead, because Elise loves crowds and I do not. So we decide to convene at the Bearded Tit in Redfern around midnight. As it turns out, the march is a memorable one, the last time in the past three years it has taken place on Oxford Street. I show up to my friend Lou's place, just in time to meet another friend, Sarah, and her plus one, a queer Spanish man who has just moved to Sydney, who Sarah met on the train ride in. We sit on Lou's couch, the four of us, and half pay attention to the march while we gulp wine. Lou has this incredible ability to shift my Overton window for drinking. In other words, I've never been drunker in my life than times when I've been around them. Still though, I'm a pretty reserved drunk. This is going to be Nora and Christina's first queer Sydney Mardi Gras experience, and I want to make it good for them because I'm a cultural ambassador. (laughs) So I pace myself. It's they who turn up shit-faced, and and we cluster in the queue outside the tit, pressed up against the groups ahead of us and behind us in the line, and we all chat easily back and forth. I'm not aware of just how precious this moment is at the time, this jovial proximity and the sweaty battle for space that will ensue inside. 
Soon the tit will shut for months and turn to the local community to raise the funds to pay its staff and rent throughout COVID. Inside, we dance. Lou buys the queer group and my straight tourists tequila shots, and after we neck them, things descend into chaos, even as I try to keep my eye on everyone inside our small company. At one moment in the evening, I survey us, scattered as we are around the tit, and we appear to me like a modern day, slightly sloppier Renoir painting, <laughs> one of his depictions of some decadent garden party. Christina rather ducks into my eyeline. Thank God she's so tall, and when we speak, she's sweaty and sparkly all over her face, and she leans down to shout to me in shock, I just made out with a gay man covered in glitter. <laughs> Elise is chatting away with my acquaintance in Spanish and he starts crying while Madonna plays and he rests his head on her shoulder. He's homesick, she tells me later. <laughs> Lou disappears into the bathroom and when they return, they're chatting animatedly with a man in white overalls, fluorescent fishnet gloves and no shirt. I judge from his hairy chest and outfit and take him for a bear. Lou is holding out their phone, gesturing excitedly, saying, put your number in here, you're an amazing human. <laughs> I see Lou write down the name Vonnie, that's the real name, by the way. Um, and then Vonnie gives Lou a hug and disappears. Later, Lou is lying drowsily in a booth, their head in the lap of an older butch they've never met. I feed them sips of water on the dance floor. At the end of the evening, Lou and the others depart, and Elise, Christina, and I step out into the air and join the crowd waiting for Ubers. I'm craving a cigarette, and Elise bums me one off a group of three men. One of them I recognize, it's Vonnie, and he's with another gentleman who I also take for a bear because he's wearing a loud Hawaiian shirt and he's wrapped in a boa. <laughs> he's joined by a guy who introduces himself as Jack, also a real name. Uh, Jack is from the States, and while we smoke, he explains to us that he's been phone banking of late for the Bernie Sanders campaign, even though his family's loaded, mainly to meet girls. <laughs> it dawns on me then that these men who, have assumed, who I've assumed are safe because of the location that I met them may not be exempt from some of the same behaviors from men that I see at non-queer venues all the time. My suspicion that they might be a little predatory only grows further when Jack invites us to an after party at his place. I've got a hot tub, he tells us, and I'm a socialist. <laughs> I am, of course, far too unimpressed with these guys to take this offer up for real, but before I decline on Elise and Christina's behalf, I think to check where Jack lives. When he responds Stanmore and names the street, Douglas Street, by the way, um, <laughs> I realize he's only about a five-minute walk away from my house in Petersham. So I hatch a plan. The idea is that we'll share the Uber and when we arrive, rather than going inside, we'll just walk straight home to mine, having scored a free lift and dodged the post-Mardi Gras crowds and surge prices. <laughs> Something about playing those who seek to play me, I guess. <laughs> but Vonnie and Jack are more adept at entrapping people than I realized and they separate us, Christina is shuttled into one Uber with Vonnie and his friend, and Elise and I ride with Jack, who remarks almost to himself at one point, wow, I can't believe I got three women to come home with me. Uh, right. <laughs> My hackles are now fully raised. I have a new mission upon arrival, which is to extract Christina from whatever horrible after party she is about to arrive at ahead of us. Poor innocent Christina, I think to myself, and with that resolve, step into Jack's house. It's just us. 
I spot Christina hunched on the floor in the courtyard, steadfastly playing with Jack's dog, and she exclaims, thank God, when she sees us arrive. When Elise and I step in, the guys instantly swarm, offering us coke, ketamine, acid, MDMA, booze, pills, whatever. Whatever it'll take for us to get into their hot tub with them naked. I'm furious by this point, and I turn to Vonnie, who's already naked and lounging in the tub, and I ask him, can I take a photo of you? And he says yes. Uh, I send it to Lou the next morning and caption it simply, ya boy. <laughs> Lou does not stand by their previous endorsement of this man. <laughs> I can see Elise and Christina, who are far more polite than me, being pulled into separate conversations with these men, almost like we've been each marked by one of them. So I accept a large glass of champagne, which they continuously replenish before I've even finished drinking, and I start chain-smoking furiously and plotting our escape. Every time I say we have to go, they repeat the hollow adage that we're welcome to leave any time we want. I can see how uncomfortable Elise and Christina are in the way the guys' faces keep hovering closer to theirs, drifting forwards, while my friends are clearly pulling back. I feel responsible for how the night has gone and angry that I've let it happen, so I finally put my foot down and walk us bodily outside, even if it makes me seem like a fucking bitch, humorless, feminist lesbian. <laughs> Elise and Christina don't quite believe that my home is as close as I say, and they wonder if we should uh, just stay put where we are, but I insist that we're safe here in Petersham, and we meander to mine, arm in arm, sucking in the crisp night air. When we finally step into my house, as promised, we all cackle with relief and collapse on my couch, embracing. Elise and Christina fly back out the next morning, only days before Australia's international border shuts to them for nearly two years. I haven't given them a good time, really, so much as a memorable one. <laughs> I remember it too, specifically for how precious these moments seem to me now, looking back with an entire pandemic almost under our belts. I'm not going to be so casual, and I'm not going to take the, uh, and I am rather, going to take the time to be grateful for this, even these horrible, weird, chaotic evenings when next they occur. Um, and if I see Vonnie or Jack again this Mardi Gras, I will, metaphorically, uh, for legal reasons. Fuck them up. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out Queer Stories on Patreon, where you can support the project for as little as $1 per month. Follow Queer Stories on Facebook for news and event updates. And follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter and Instagram.